In this last lesson of the series, Pleasing the Lord, we're going to be finishing up the study of the scripture in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Let's pray before we get into that. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for helping us through this series. And I pray that you would help us to desire to be pleasing to you in these ways, Lord, to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, God. I pray that your hand would be upon us. Help me to speak your words and help every listener to have open ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to be focusing on to walk humbly. Because as disciples, those that want to please the Lord and follow after him, we must choose to walk humbly. We're going to be looking at a story in Luke chapter 14. And it reports that Jesus was invited to a meal at the home of a leading Pharisee. So this kind of supper would have been modeled after a Roman banquet that often lasted for hours. It was quite a social event, not just a meal, but it was a social gathering. At something like this, there would have been no assigned seating, no place settings or anything like that where your name would be and you'd go to that chair. But each arriving guest chose a seat. Sitting near the host of the event was considered very significant because it gained attention. Having accepted the invitation, Jesus watched, and what he saw was self-exaltation on display. The pride, self-interest, and ambition of the Pharisees showed as they chose seats near the host. Sitting near the host, it didn't add value to the event, it did nothing like that, but it was a petty distinction. But most certainly, other people would take notice of who was sitting the closest to the host at each event. Jesus watched as the meal progressed. The host also had an agenda, agenda, wanting it known that the important people had attended his supper. The host would begin to rearrange the seating to bring who he thought was most important up to sit near him. If the host saw someone important sitting at a low seat, he would have a servant ask that the guest move closer to the host. Sometimes there was a complication because there would already be somebody in that higher seat. And the person who was sitting in the high seat had made a self-assessment. He would have felt that he was important and deserved this place. But the host, as the master of the feast, was the one who would decide which guests were important at each event. So therein is the complication because a servant would be sent to speak who, who, with whoever sat at the high seat. And the message was, move, there's someone else the master of the feast wants sitting in this seat. And as others watched, the guest who would have been told to move would stand and walk down. It would have been humiliating because that person would have overestimated their significance to the host. Now all that remained would be the lower seats. This person's arrogance and self-assessment did not match the value that the master of the feast had placed on him. Luke chapter 14 and verse 11 ends this story. It says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 
So to be humble is what we're talking about today, and it is very important, but often it's misunderstood. Understanding what Jesus taught requires clarity on what humility actually is. Humility is not minimizing our abilities. Humility is not presenting ourselves as inadequate. Humility is not a poor little me attitude. We're not prideful if we feel good about the work we do on the job or at church. We can feel uh, a purpose and we can feel a competence in the jobs that we're asked to do and the things that we do. So it's not, you're not lacking humility if you do find purpose and if you are feeling um, accomplished when you get certain things done. Here's some sentences that you can complete in your mind to give you some perspective. Uh, I am good at, and then you fill in the blank. Or how about this one? Uh, This can broaden your perspective. I am bad at. Now, some of you, your attitude immediately goes to those things you're good at, and you might have a hard time with the things you're bad at. And for some of you, it's the opposite. You can immediately think of things that you feel like you're bad at and things that you don't think you're good at so proud people pretend to be good at everything but being humble is also not downplaying our success and focusing on our failure neither approach is correct so it's neither good to pretend that I'm good at everything and it's also not good to uh, downplay things that I have been successful in and continue just to focus on failure. So how would you describe what it means to be humble? We're going to take a deeper look at what humility really is because it was important, we see, and Jesus takes time to talk about it. Humility is not being unable to accept a compliment. Responding to a compliment with, oh, you're just saying that, is really uh, not being humble. Such responses can be false modesty, and false modesty is proudly showing others how humble we are. You've probably heard the expression, it was a humble brag. When you say, you know, I'm so humbled to be here, or uh, here's another one, like... um, Godly proud. I, I don't think those two words, it's, it's an oxymoron there. They don't really go together. Um, such a response also demeans the good qualities that the Lord Jesus Christ puts in us. So to have that um, false modesty or that humble brag, it lessens the power of God in our lives. Humility is not low self-esteem. Christ's redemptive work Establish your worth. Humility is not feeling worthless. You're not worthless. Humble people can be ambitious. We should envision a better future for ourselves and for our families. Christian living, it does not require a a poverty of mind, spirit, and body. We can feel good about ourselves and about who we are in Christ. So what does it mean to be humble if we have that... um, that uh, ability to feel good about the purpose God has given us and the things that we do in his kingdom. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. And that is a quote from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. So it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Pride, self-interest, and self-promotion cause us to want attention. 
those same things expose us to embarrassment and humiliation. See, proud people, they bruise easily. By contrast, behaving with humility is a sure way never to suffer such humiliation. In speaking of humility, the late George Glass Sr., a minister and pastor in our organization, says, you take a low road to a high place. See, we cannot overestimate our own significance. In the parable of this banquet, this meal that we started with today, when people were seated as the host wanted, the arrangement showed how he felt about each attendee. An unassuming person might now be in a place of prominence. So Jesus instructs his audience um, at this point when he's giving uh, these stories, when he's watching um, how the, the seating is positioned and then using the story to teach a lesson. He says in Luke 14.10, when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest place. Jesus taught us that presuming our importance is a mistake. Regardless of how we see ourselves, instead, in cases such as this, we are to go and sit down in the lowest place. Decide not to join the competition to be noticed. If the host wishes to elevate us, it's going to happen in due time. To the competitive, Jesus taught, for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. This story has several lessons that we can learn from. Here are some of those lessons. People who overestimate their importance put themselves at risk of being humiliated. Promotion will come to the humble. Humility is a personal choice. We choose either to be arrogant or to be humble. How the master sees us is far more important than how we see ourselves or how others see us. Jesus' use of the phrase shall be indicates a passage of time. The humbling of a proud person may not come quickly, but it will come. Likewise, a humble person's elevation may not happen quickly, but it will happen. Self-promotion seems to be the norm for many, many people. So how have you seen people promote themselves in an attempt to gain a gain attention. Can you think of a time? In our day and time, I think that we see it mostly through social media, which does not change the act, the attitude behind the act. A lot of times it's as though people think if they do something uh, virtually, it's not like they're actually um, doing it in, in reality, but it is. It's the same attitude. And is this behavior pleasing to God? Certainly not. We must not think that manipulation is um, and aggressiveness and not being uh, an authentic person for personal gain are pleasing to the Lord. God determines who will sit in places of significance. Psalms chapter 75 verses 6 through 7 says this, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and he setteth up another. True humility operates counter culturally. Jesus' uh, second lesson was countercultural. In Christ's day, a banquet host could expect a return invitation from his guests. 
The Pharisees, they were an exclusive club with the party moving from one home to another. But Jesus called for something different. He said, call the poor, the maimed, the the lame, and the blind. These suppers had two types of measurement. Where someone sat was evaluated, and the people who attended were evaluated. Jesus now addressed the Pharisees' desire to have it known that important people were attending their supper. He taught us to be intentionally humble before the people with whom we associate. It was socially, financially, and politically beneficial for the right people to attend. A Pharisee who carried out Jesus' directive put himself at risk. He would be abandoning this long-standing system and no one of importance would be at his supper if he called those who Jesus told him to. But Jesus called for humility because uh, no one chooses to be maimed, lame, or blind. And the poor often uh, have no choice in the matter. Some say in the Western world, anyone can succeed, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But with some people, there are not even any bootstraps to pull themselves up with. Those who walk humbly before the Lord reach beyond their comfort zone. They intentionally connect with disadvantaged people like this. Jesus did not say to his audience, give these unfortunates the leftover from your grand supper. He said, when you have a feast, invite the poor, invite the maimed, invite the lame, invite the blind. Understand he was talking about connecting with with and helping those who could not, could not help themselves. Because in Jesus' day, those that were lame and blind and maimed did not have the same medical advantages as we do today or even the same resources as us today. Also, uh, they were often social outcasts because many people believed that they were in the state that they were in because of their sin or their parents' sin. And, And they really were in a place of not being able to help themselves. These disadvantaged people were to be the invited guests. The less fortunate were to attend a grand supper, like what Jesus was intending. The blind, the lame, the maimed, the poor were to be invited to eat the same sort of food provided to Jesus. Humble people do not treat the less fortunate any differently than they treat their friends who are wealthy and who are well. The two lessons on humility merge. The maim, lame, blind, and poor would not come to such a supper competing for a high seat. Such people would be glad just to have any seat. Walking humbly with the Lord is easier when we see ourselves as we actually are. Spiritually and in many other ways, we are just like those unable to help themselves. We have to truly recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord, like James says. Now, every good and perfect gift, everything we have. And and I know what you're thinking. You're, You're thinking, well, Sister Brown, I worked really hard to get where I am and get the things that I have and the position that I have. But humility is seeing the truth that no matter how hard I have worked, I only have the basic breath that I need to live because of my creator. And I'll tell you what, without breath, there's no life to even go to work. So the most basic of what we have comes from the Lord, which in turn means that everything comes from the Lord. When we remember that, it helps us to walk in that humility. 
We are not those who deserve an invitation. We are the unexpected invitees. Proud Pharisees contested for the high seats. The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, they were just happy to be included. What a privilege. Their invitation would be an unexpected favor. And the person who invited them was welcoming these people of limited means, and they would have no expectation of a return dinner or banquet to go to. Do we see ourselves as deserving a high seat at each event we attend, or do we realize that we are lame, blind, maim, and the poor of whom Jesus spoke? In Bible times, those that he spoke about survived by the generosity of others. They were destitute, many of them, due to physical conditions. The word translated poor has an expanded definition of Cringing beggars. The poor of every area have experienced physical abuse. The maimed were intensely crippled. The damage to the body was the result of an accident. Such people required special care and most needed someone to carry them from one place to another. The lame person could move at a very so slow place. And the blind often had people take advantage of them because passerbys could easily steal from them, even if people were giving them alms or money. And here Jesus was teaching another lesson. Rather than attempting to impress those who are driven by self-interest, we are to invite people who have been humiliated by life. Such people are glad to have any person to take interest in them. Let's think of ways that we can be intentional in, in encouraging those who have been hurt by others and by life. Jesus knew his audience. They were comfortable with this existing system. Those who followed Jesus' instructions would receive no reciprocal invitations. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind had no resources to fund a supper with which to invite others to. But Jesus emphasized the long term. When someone invites a friend, the only gain will be participating in a future supper. But if a man welcomes those who cannot return the favor, a reward will come. The reward won't be another social event to attend. The greater reward is what will happen at the resurrection of the just. The reward will be eternal rather than temporal. As we look at our scripture, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, let's remember it says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Our relationships with other people are affected when we do justly, when we love mercy. And the instruction to walk humbly with thy God changes the focus to God. See, we're affecting people, and the point is to get their focus on the Lord, not on ourself. And, and while the focus changes, it's, it's not the outcome that's changing, but that focus changes. Walking humbly with God affects our relationships with others. No person walking humbly with God can at the same time walk proudly among other people. Conversely, those who walk proudly among their peers, they're, they're not walking humbly with the Lord. The opposite of walking humbly with the Lord would be sitting proudly with the Lord. And that's quite a contrast. Those who sit proudly with the Lord take credit 
for belonging to God. If someone tells of teaching a home Bible study that resulted in someone's salvation, is the story told for God to get the glory or in a way that listeners will see the home Bible study as a teacher? If it's the latter, then the teller of the tale is sitting proudly rather than walking humbly. In the following biblical settings, the writers shared their own experiences with the Lord, but they did not make themselves into the heroes in their testimonies. Paul said, I knew a man in Christ, most likely talking about himself, and that was 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-5. through 5. John Mark is believed to have been the young man who followed Jesus closer and then had his garment taken in Mark chapter 14, verses 50-52. through 52. The book of John mentions the disciple Jesus loved, but John never identifies himself as that disciple. He doesn't even refer to himself at all. He just refers to the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's easy to discern the proud in the way they tell a story, like it is to discern the humble in those examples that we just gave. Micah's words also draw attention to the danger of taking ourselves too seriously. The proud not only portray themselves as grand heroes, but their image is also more important than reality. They find no humor now or later when things do not go well. But here's the thing. Great Christians, people like those Micah described, they find a way to kind of laugh at themselves and at the things that might go wrong. Maybe you could think they find joy in every situation or they just realize that they're human. They're not setting themselves up as great heroes, but they know the reality of their frailty. And in turn, they know that they are only where they are because of what God has done in their lives. Those who are proud hide their foolishness carefully. To be so humble as to tell of one's folly might desecrate a carefully crafted public persona. So heaven forbid we tell stories about mistakes that we've made or funny things that have happened to us that are, where we are the, the clown of the story. Proud people become tense when someone learns of a mistake they've made. At times they attempt to defend the indefensible. Those who are not humble can be highly offended when they learn someone laughed at their mistake or at their folly. Walking humbly with the Lord and sitting proudly alongside him, they're easily distinguished, just like that pridefulness that we talked about. Here's a little story to finish with that that kind of shows you what that humility looks like. The late J.T. Pugh told of a leader. He would tell a story. And in his story, he would tell of a leader whose goal was to improve those who served with him. His purpose was to make each meeting he organized result in each participant going home a better person, spouse, pastor, and parent. In telling the story, J.T. Pugh did not name the leader that he was talking about. Instead, it was just an unnamed figure in the story. What Brother Pew didn't know is that a man who worked with him had told others the exact same story, except this man had identified the person that Brother Pew was talking about, and he would tell the story like this. As Brother Pew led the Home Missions Division of the United Pentecostal Church, he had a goal for each board meeting. He wanted each member to return home a better person, spouse, leader, pastor, and parent. Such behavior of Brother Pugh leaving out the fact that the example in the story was himself. <laughs> it exemplifies walking humbly with the Lord. 
J.T. Pugh did not make himself a hero. He was a humble man of God. Do you sit proudly along the Lord Jesus Christ, celebrating what you have done on his behalf? Or do you detect, detract credit to be sure that all honor goes to him? Those who sit proudly forget who has given them their talents, who has set them up for their opportunities and given them their resources. Without God's provision, we have nothing about which to brag. Those who walk humbly with the Lord are also humble among others. And the final great lesson is this. The church's greatest opportunity, as well as our greatest responsibility, is to reach those who are undervalued by society. Let's finish with prayer. Lord, thank you for this word, and I pray that you would help us to do everything that we have learned these past few weeks, Lord, to love mercy and to do justly and to walk humbly with you, O Lord Jesus. Help us to really see the reality of what and who we are so that we can be transformed by this word. We love you and we thank you for every opportunity to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.